Good morning and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at bringing the personalities behind the scenes, the officers of the councils, a platform to speak with the public about issues that are affecting our communities across the UK. Today, I'm delighted to have Eugene Minogue, who is, as well as being um, a very experienced uh, local government executive in strategic and leadership roles with over 25 years experience, he's also a committed and dedicated advocate for young people, children to have access to play and playground facilities, an open active champion and steering committee member. Um, he, he's a really interesting guy. So Eugene, thank you for coming on to the podcast this morning. How are you? You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's great to have you on board. Um, so today, I think we can all resonate with the fact that growing up, everybody should have access to to, to an area where they can play, a playground. And across the UK, we've got a situation where there is an ever decreasing number of uh, playgrounds available. And the reason why uh, I was so happy that Eugene was, was able to come on today is to discuss why that's happening. But if I start by giving a little bit of a background to the situation at present. So there is something called the Association of Play Industries. So they are the regulatory body of the play sector. Um, and essentially they've come out and said, finding a decent place to play is mainly based on where you live. And that might sound incredibly obvious, but I think what we have to understand is how different it is, the comparison between Scotland, Wales and England. A few quick stats before I get into it with Eugene. So in the West Midlands, it has the worst play provision in the UK with 929 children per playground. If we compare that to Scotland, it's 196 and in Wales, 392. In London, one in five houses don't have access to a garden. And yet the number is still 866 children to each playground. So, Eugene, why is this? Why is this happening? Uh, well, I think there's there's a, been a decline in play uh, and playgrounds and um, sort of play work over many decades uh, now. And it's been a slow decline. Um, one of the things I do want to point out, the, the API, the Association for Play Industries, is um, the sort of membership body for play industry they're the people that that build and install playgrounds um i'm talking today from play england um so we are effectively the the, the sort of national body uh, for play uh, in england and advocate for children's right uh, to play um and across playgrounds and the whole play sector including play work and adventure playgrounds but coming back to your question um yes it's been that slow decline um and in part it's around uh, austerity in part it's been around uh, the social denorming of play and the prevalence of things like the car, but also how children aren't fully represented uh, within the planning framework, particularly in England. What does that mean? So just for people at home, when they say they, they, this, the, the right to play or the, the planning system isn't really support or protect uh, playgrounds, what does that mean in terms of reality? What are they protecting? Yeah, so, so as an example, there's the National Planning Policy Framework, um, the, you know, the latest revision of that, the government are looking at it currently um, at the moment. So the 2021 uh, NPPF makes a single mention of children, and that is only in connection uh, with housing needs. 
So currently there's no other guidance within the NPPF or from DLUC more broadly um, or the Leveling Up Department um, that addresses children explicitly. Um, you know, if you look at that uh, in contrast, there is various sort of guidance and legislation around the protection, statutory protection of newts and bats within our planning guidance. You know, that's a shameful position for us to be in uh, as a country. Um, and it's something that we at Play England desperately want to address uh, and to make sure that play sufficiency is uh, legislated for uh, and also brings us into line with, with Scotland and Wales, who have had play sufficiency for, for many years now, um, but also brings the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child um, into meaningful practice uh, in England um, to make sure that we have enough facilities for children to play but also enough play provision and play workers in schools after schools uh, we have adventure playgrounds and that our city planners build play in uh, to the city um, that they, they they sort of build um, in and around up and down the length and breadth of, of England really it's so difficult, isn't it? Because obviously the planning system, we're going to do episode, we've got hopefully got the chief executive of the planning institute coming on in a couple of weeks. But um, this this whole section around the planning system being so massively under-resourced and overstretched. But, you know, the, the, it goes exactly to what you said there. If there is no reference to it in a legislation, it's not going to be prioritised in the in the planning system and in, in, in developments. And it is so important. It is so important. And, you know, protecting wildlife species is important, but as important is giving children, and I, again, I've not got children at the, at the moment, but if from from what I see, it feels like that generation who are now growing up who would be using playgrounds, their online world has massively increased, but their outside world where they would normally play has decreased in terms of this the, the opportunity they have just to go in and just to kind of have that that kind of uh, just, just, just to stay young. You know, children grow up very quickly these days. Um, how do, um, in terms of the actual you know, because I guess everyone at home is thinking, no, it's a great idea, but how are we going to pay for it? So, you know, how how does it how does it structure? You know, how do payments for these normally? You know, where does it come from? The money? Well, the, the irony is that this stuff is is already there. So, if, if I give you a couple of couple of examples, um, so as an example, uh, local authorities are required to have a local plan, which is basically one for better phrase, and I'm no planner here, but a their their local bible for for planning. Uh, really, uh, what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. That goes through a statutory process um, and that has to be overseen by um, some inspectors. Um, as it goes through the process, there's a number of statutory consultees that must be consulted on that process. As an example, Sport England um, are one of those. More recently, Active Travel England, rightly so, have become uh, a statutory consultee. So as an example, through the development of a local plan, um, Sporting them will be consulted and they have robust guidance around the protection of uh, the provision of sport and movement more generally now. Um, but it falls into broadly two defined areas. So one is around indoor provision uh, for formalised sport and physical activity to you and me. That would be things typically like your local leisure centre, but not exclusively. Um, and then the second area it falls um, into is outdoor formalised sport and physical activity. So things like courts, wickets, tracks, fields, pitches, um, anything that is lined and marked typically and stuff that is bookable for, for sport. 
the glaring gap in the middle is what I refer to now as the, the recreation facilities, uh, which obviously includes children's play, but things like multi-use games areas, parkour parks, uh, calisthenic parks, um, all of the recreational spaces that, that we do. But also more broadly, it can include things um, such as allotments um, and places and spaces for people to get and stay active. But for the purpose of this one, we're particularly talking about, about children. So that gap in the middle of uh, the formalised sport and physical activity indoor and outdoor isn't yet covered. Um, beyond that, there's no statutory guidance around the provision of, of play facilities uh, for children and young people, as, as we've highlighted. And children make up one in five of our population. And they're arguably bearing the brunt of particularly poor planning, but not exclusively poor planning. Planning is part of the solution to this, but it's not the panacea to it. Um, but certainly moving us in line with Scotland and the world would be a huge step um, moving forward to redress that imbalance um, and weakness within the current planning system. But also more importantly, I think it will give local authorities, uh, one for a better phrase, something to hang their hat on to make sure that they know that they are providing sufficient play provision uh, within their places um, and that that is of a quality. Um, is 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 uh, place efficiency uh, the perfect solution to this? No, as I've said, it needs to go hand in glove with making sure you have expertise outside of the planning system um, and making sure that that is interlinked with the wider provision of plays, so things like adventure playgrounds, play work, making sure that, that is in schools, both before and after, um, and part of the fabric of society. You know, as I said on, on, on BBC Breakfast a couple of weeks ago, play is, is, is the fabric of our society it's also the foundation of all human movement you know as humans we have an obligation to play um even in adults um you know and i think as adults we all forget that we were former children um and this is the thing that we've got to got to get back to in terms of so leveling up um grants and I, i've got a bit of a, a bug to bear with the time scales that the uh, central government put around these applications because i don't feel it's very conducive to allowing for the best utilisation of the funding. But levelling up grants um, of £9 million will provide 100 green spaces in communities across England, and £30 million fund will be used to overhaul 30 sites in England, focusing on improving facilities for young families. Does that go far enough, in your opinion, Eugene? Uh, frankly, no, it doesn't. It doesn't even touch the touch the sides um, with it all. You know, we're talking about nine million across the whole of England, across the various sort of parks and open spaces where it's primarily aimed. This isn't aimed solely at, at children's children's play. So there's 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 quite a few bits here that you know need unpicking um, with it all. And I'm a big fan of you know policy over funding. If you get policy right, that arguably that's a a better tool. Um, to addressing the issues that we face, not just in play, in playgrounds, but more broadly um, with it all. So, you know, yes, funding does help, um, but that's a much bigger, more macro question around um, how local authorities are funded and for what. So we need to sort of redress, redress that balance. And I know the Parks Management Association um, stands shoulder to shoulder with us around um, the, the, the sort of issues that we've got with with play provision and also the, the lack of funding that is coming into particularly parks and open spaces. But that's more for them to pick up as opposed to me on this one. But yeah, it's it's it needs to be coupled with you know robust policy um, around that. Uh, 
relevant levels of funding that are sufficient uh, to meet the identified needs uh, in the communities up and down um, England, uh, and making sure that we have uh, play experts back in local authorities um, and also out in our communities. Wait, what is a play expert? It's, it's a term that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it, it, well, that's that's a layperson's term. Typically within the sector, it would be referred to uh, as a play worker. Uh, Certainly, I'm of an age, uh, you know, I was born in the 80s uh, and certainly before and after school, I'd have loads of fun, um, you know, playing on my school site um, or at the adventure playground. And that would be facilitated by play workers, you know, people who are professional in the same way that we have professionalised youth workers and we have professionalised sports coaches. These are people that facilitate and enable play. Uh, with children and young people and families um, in various sort of different settings, um, you know, whether that be through the creative and the art side, whether that's through the active side uh, with it all. And sometimes um, it's just around getting out of the way. You know, free play is something that children should be able to do. And certainly I did as a as a child. And I know my children don't have the same levels of freedoms um, that, that I certainly have. You know, the, whilst the world has got bigger um, digitally, it's got smaller physically um for for certainly for my children's uh generation uh with that all there's a, there's a piece of research done by dr william bird which sort of showed that how how the free range of movement has shrunk quite dramatically over the past four generations uh, and equally on play day which was on the 2nd of august this all was the uh first wednesday uh, in august for anybody that don't know um play england we published a report around street playing the decline in street playing, how that's um, having a detrimental effect on children's physical and mental health. You know, something as simple as playing out in the street, which what I did as a child quite freely, unsupervised, is now, um, you know, want for a better phrase, frown frowned upon or is it is just not able to happen. And that's something that we need to redress. And there's great organisations out there such as Playing Out and um, ourselves that are advocating for that. We're working uh, with Active Travel in England to sort of boost uh, sort of play streets as well as Sport England as well, who fund uh, playing out as well. Um, so it's something that we we need to think about in a fundamentally different way. Um, and I always say to people, as I think, and I might be misquoting here, I think this is a Churchillian quote, the further you look back, the further you can see forwards. So we need to get back to, to where we were, you know, where children had, you know, children ruled the streets, if you like, and were, were able to play out quite freely. But, you know, with the dominance of the car now, um, that balance has gone too far uh, the opposite opposite sort of way. Um, you know, so we need to we need to think about the interconnected and interdependencies here between policy, funding, resourcing, expertise. It's a wholesale um sort of review that we sort of need to take and make sure that local authorities are geared up to to understand this and and facilitate in a meaningful sort of way and I'm sure you could translate that story to, to many local government sort of services as well. No, absolutely and I think for people who sat at home who maybe are sitting thinking and go what the war in Ukraine, Brexit, Covid, you know is this a really important issue? Well it absolutely is and it goes so much further than the initial play as well because if you look behind that how much money councils spend on um, supporting the mental health and the education of children the cost that goes into that the health costs of people not being active the physical and mental on the nhs 
there is such an integral part of of health and well-being that comes from having a safe place to play and that's why it's fantastic that organizations like playland are are out there and advocating for it because children are a, a lost voice otherwise because they're not a, a vote winner they don't have the access to be able to say to even sometimes to even to be able to to articulate to to the adults in the world that we need that and we run a risk if we don't change this now that the next generation playing out will be an alien concept to them so it, it's important that the steps begin to be take place now eugene question for you well the first one is if you're at home you're a parent remember this community how can you help the uh the good work that playing and yourself are doing how can you help uh, promote more places for children to play well i think you know the, the obvious one is start with you know your doorstep your place outside there um you know most councils now are developing or have uh, a play street or street play policy so you can apply for either a permanent um, sort of designation as a play street um, or you can apply for street play session which is typically a, a three-hour road closure to sort of facilitate that um, but also I would encourage people to engage with their councils around the places to play as well as the spaces to play so if your playground's a little bit run down or it could do with um, you know sort of replacement uh, certainly get in contact with your council um, encourage them and the, you know sort of bring voices to the table particularly the the, the voice of the child um, because like like you rightly said that that is missing um, with it all and that's that's something that we need to get better at um, and including children within the planning system um, as well but also in the design the consultation um, and also the mobilization of new places and spaces for, for children to play um, you know this shouldn't be someone sat behind a desk somewhere or a procurement officer um, uh, sort of thumbing through a catalogue deciding what should go in the children's playground we need to have the child's voice represented within that um, as well so you know do those things you know obviously sort of interact with uh, your neighbours um, and your wider community uh, those that have uh, parish councils uh, that they do some fantastic work as well often looking after um, smaller facilities and other bits and pieces but whether it is a parish, uh, whether it's a district, whether it's a unitary, whether it's a county, um, or whether it's a private private provider as well, because some of these sit with management companies um, on new build estates, some of them sit with uh, pubs and operators as well. So whoever it is, um, engage with them, you know, and make sure that the child's voice is heard um, and advocate for children to play. Also, we need to see more children playing, um, you know, more freely than and they did. Um, and I encourage people to visit the Play England website um, and, and all of our, our members uh, as well. So we're getting more information, advice and guidance out there. And if people need support, we are we are here to give them some support. And if there was one thing that you think could change, we, I know we've covered a lot of things that you know could be improved from central government and you know the, the system itself. What would be the one thing that you think should change in England at the moment that would promote um, play and play spaces uh, improving in the in England right now? Yeah, unequivocally, we're calling for um, place efficiency legislation to bring us in line with Scotland and Wales. That would be the catalyst for a much wider change, you know, putting some robust legislation in place um, that reflects and underpins uh, the UN Convention on the rights of the child, um, you know, making sure that the right of the child to play and access to play uh, is a uh, is protected um, would be the catalyst for change but as I equally as I said that is not 
the silver bullet or the panacea to it. So that needs to be built out and coupled with um, uh, workforce training, a wider understanding within uh, the local government sector and more broadly across various sort of sectors around the child's right to play um, with it all and the fundamental aspects of it. You know, if I can give you one quick example, um, there's a great course run by the London School of, of Economics called Urban 95. Um, and it's a course targeted at uh, municipalities um, globally, really, um, and the politicians, but also policymakers and um, decision makers, uh, people like myself that work in, in local government. And the idea behind the course or the intention behind the course is to show people uh, the world, particularly the cities and the urban landscape, through the eyes of an average height of a three-year-old, hence why it's called Urban 95, because the average height of a, uh, a three-year-old is 95 centimetres. And when you see the urban landscape and the city and places and spaces through the eyes of a average height of a three-year-old, it is quite stark in terms of what we've built as a society. Um, and if we can get the urban landscape right for children, it will be right for us as adults and older people and communities and wider society. Um, and that's the thing that we we need to make sure that we get back to doing um, with it all. And I, I think it's a fair, fair ask. And I think that is would be the catalyst for much wider change, particularly across across England. Um, you know, I'm sure if you speak to my colleagues in, in Scotland, the world, they say that place efficiency is fantastic. But it, you know, it it's not um, been the, the, the sole sort of panacea to all, all of the, the issues around children's play but certainly here it would be a huge step forwards um in england absolutely if you're sat at home when you've got local councillors coming in trying to get your vote in the local election when there's a general election log on this is a point that needs to have attention and focus so ask the question give those organizations support as eugenia said engage with them but thank you, Eugene. This has been absolutely, I, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation uh, and I look forward to, we've got a, an episode uh, with Eugene coming up around operating models, which let me tell you is more exciting than it sounds. Um, but uh, <laughs> but for now, uh, from us, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Eugene. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And guys, if you listen to the podcast, give it a like, give it a share, give it a follow and give it a five star review. But thank you for listening. Have a great day.